Amen. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter number 2. And then 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. Acts chapter number 2. And then 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. Let me say it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Had a great trip this week to Mexico City. Uh, great trip. We had Thursday night, we had over 7,000 people in the auditorium. Uh, 1,000 people were saved and they baptized 550 people Thursday night. So, that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, I think the most, the, the, the best part about it though to me was we had a thousand pastors from all over Mexico come in. Some rode a bus 22 hours, 22 hours to be in this meeting, to be trained, hungry, just hungry for, for, for anything that we could give them to help them in their ministry down there. Uh, I, I do know this, we're spoiled rotten. We're, we're spoiled rotten. Uh, and, and, and listen, we, we need to do everything we can to pray for those men who are starting churches, planting churches, reaching people. It's just, it's just an incredible thing. Thank God uh, for Sweet Home Alabama. Amen. Glad to be home. For all the mothers here, for all the mothers here, happy, 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 happy Mother's Day to everyone here. It is good. Yeah, go ahead. Give all the mothers hand there. Listen, we are glad that you're here. Uh, if you're here for the very first time, we're tickled to death that you're here too. Uh, several weeks ago, right after Easter, we, uh, we started a series on what next? What after Jesus rose again, what next? We took the book of Acts and we have been going through the book of Acts to find out what went on with the early church. We have talked about several things that took place on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter number 2. We covered uh, uh, the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then last week, we covered the filling of the Holy Spirit. What's the difference uh, between the baptism and the filling of the Spirit? If you missed that, go, go watch that on the Internet. Get a CD or whatever. I don't want to take the time to cover that again. I got a lot to cover today. We're going to go through a lot of Scripture today uh, to cover the, the topic we are going to deal with today. And so I want you to do that. If you missed those, go back and watch them or listen to them again. And uh, today we're going to be dealing with the subject of tongues. Tongues. Biblical tongues. What was it? What is it? And what do we need to know about it? All right? We're going to look in Acts chapter number 2 in verse number 1. If you have found your spot, say amen. amen. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all of these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Then it lists several different nationalities, several different places that they had come into from verse 9 and 10. In verse 11 it says, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And all God's people said, Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings today. 
Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the spirit that's in this place. Thank you for the choir and their dedication to practice and uh, the band, their dedication to practice, to be a blessing to us today and to serve and minister today. And God, I pray that you'll use this word. Help me to say everything exactly the way the Bible says it. Lord, I pray that you'll guide my heart, guide my mind, guide my words. Don't let me say anything I'm not supposed to and don't let me forget something I am supposed to. I pray your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. You may be seated. There are differences of beliefs when it comes to this particular topic, and, and, and it is somewhat a controversial topic. Shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Absolutely should not be a controversial topic whatsoever if you study the Bible and read the Bible as what the Bible says. The only way to, the only way to study this topic is to forget tradition, forget everything you've heard, and just study the Bible. Just study the Bible. To find out what the Bible says, the Bible will define itself. And that's what we're going to try to do today. Now, here's one thing that it always comes up when you discuss this among the brethren uh, and, and differences of beliefs when it comes to this topic. One person will say, well, I know it's real or I know what I'm doing is, is of God and it's the Bible because I, I know what I experienced. Okay, there's a problem there. Experience cannot be a validation of truth. Experience cannot be. And you say, well, why not? Because let's, let's put it this way. You say it's real or what, what is happening today in, in a lot of churches, that the, the, the way it's expressed today, uh, that it's real because you did it. Well, watch this. I know it's not real because I didn't do it. So it's my experience versus your experience. You see why that don't work? Your experience or my experience cannot be a validation of truth. In other words, I'm not going to stand here and tell you it's not real because I didn't do it. So I'm not going to allow you to stand here and say it's real because you did it. If you don't want to go by my experience, I'm sure not going to go by your experience. So what do we do? What do we do? We do what Peter spoke about and what Peter taught to do. It says in 2 Peter chapter 1, and, and, and let me just read this quick and we'll jump into it. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 16, he says, We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. He's referring to the Mount of Transfiguration. He's telling you, let me tell you about my experience. Let me tell you about my experience. He's saying we saw it. We heard it. We heard the voice from heaven. He says, he said, I had an experience on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and the Father. But now watch what he says. Watch what he says. Verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. A more sure word of prophecy. What's he referring to? He's talking about the word of God. Wherefore ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not of old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 
what he is saying here. He says, I don't want you to depend on my experience. I want you to depend on something that's more sure than even my experience, the Word of God. So what should we do? We should forget denominational labels. We should forget tradition and what Paul Paul said or Mama said. And let's see what God said. Let's look at the more sure word of prophecy, God's word. And I guarantee you, if we follow it, we won't go wrong. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. Number one, if you're taking notes, and you've got to write fast, because I've got a lot of stuff to cover and a little time to do it. So I want you to see, number one, the experience of tongues. The experience of tongues. What was biblical tongues? What happened on the day of Pentecost? What happened on the day of Pentecost? What was it all about? The Bible says in verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. We know we know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit took place at the same time there at the birth of the church. And the church is born on Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes in all of the believers 121, the Bible says that the, the flickering tongue was a, uh, appeared over all of them, so we know they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all baptized into the body of Christ. They are the church. The church is formed, and God gave them a supernatural gift, uh, and it is a language, a tongue, all right? Now, not just a, multitudes, plural. Look what it says. It says, verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, plural, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the first thing I want you to write down, this experience, it was spiritual. It was spiritual. It was given to them by the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were saying what the Holy Spirit told them to say. They were guided by the Holy Spirit. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were uttering words that the Holy Spirit gave them to say. So this, this experience of tongues, it was a spiritual experience but then write this down b it was a specific experience it was a specific now now you say what do you mean by that there is no question whatsoever what it was none i'm gonna go to three verses to describe what i'm talking about look in verse number look in verse number uh let's try verse number six first let's start with verse number six you say what were they uttering what were they uttering? Now, now, many people today want you to think, and I've been told this. I'm not, I'm not going but just by what I think. I, I've been to, by what I've told by people who say they practice this, that it is a, it is a celestial language. It's a non-language. It's a non-language. It's a heavenly language. It's the, it's the language of the angels. Now, there's one problem with that, because every time you see an angel talking, he's talking in human language. So that don't fly, all right? It, it, it's this non-language. It's, the, it's language only God understands. Well, that's not biblical either. You say, how do you know? Look what it says. Now we're, we're allowing, we're, now watch what we're doing. We're allowing the Bible to define the definition of tongues. Watch, verse 6. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. Now you say, what multitude? There was a group of people from all over the Mediterranean that had come in from the diaspora or the dispersion. When the Jews were run out and they were taken into bondage, into captivity, they were scattered abroad all over the Mediterranean, into Egypt and Assyria and all these different places. And they had come back to Jerusalem. They had come back for the Feast of Pentecost. Now they were born and raised and grew up 
in a foreign country, but they were still Jews. Does everybody understand that? Now, I, I saw something this week while I was in Mexico City that helped me understand this. Do you realize there is a very large population of Jews in Mexico City that came there during the Holocaust? When they were escaping the Holocaust, they came to, to Mexico City to escape the Holocaust. So here we, have, here we have several, several years of people who are born and raised in Mexico City, yet they are Jews. Does everybody understand that? Say amen. amen. So they speak Spanish fluently, all right, but they still have their Jewish heritage. That's what we're looking at. We have a group of people, a group of Jews from all over the Mediterranean who were born and raised in other countries, who have other languages, other dialects, and now they're back in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, and this experience takes place. Now watch what happens. The Bible says in verse 6, This multitude, they were confounded, because every man heard them speak, here's the, spe here's the specificity, in his It wasn't gibberish. It wasn't a non-language. It wasn't celestial. It was a known human earthly language. Verse, verse, let's go to verse, uh, verse 8. Verse 8. And how hear we every man, every man in our own our tongue, language, dialect, whatever word you want to use, it means language. The word tongue here means language. It's the Greek word glossa, which means language. One of them is dialectos, which means dialect. It means a segment of a language. There are different dialects in one language, but the point he's making, it was specific to the person. Our own tongue, wherein we were born. Then he lists all the different nationalities there, all the different places they were from. Verse number 11. Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak, and say it with me, in our, the wonderful works of God. So, what is, before we go any further, if we want to define biblical tongues, what is it? It is the ability to speak a language you have not previously learned. That's all it is. According to the Bible. Not according to my opinion. Not according to what somebody else has told me, but we have taken the Bible and we have described and defined what biblical tongues were. Here was a bunch of Galileans. Here was a bunch of Galileans who were speaking, and when they were speaking, they were speaking languages they did not know. They were speaking languages they had not previously learned. Y'all with me? They were fluently speaking the languages of the native tongues of all these people who had come in from the dispersion to Jerusalem, and that was the miracle. You say, why? What is the deal now? Today we have to learn it. Today we have to go to language school. Today you had to spend months and months and months and even years to learn a language. I was there one week and I learned a phrase, Banos, Banos, Andale, Andale, por favor. That means bathroom, hurry, please. You can believe I learned some Spanish. Amen. In public restroom, you got to pay. You got to have some baños money. And I had my pockets jingling every day. Say amen. 
It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. This is not complicated. This should not be controversial. This should not be difficult to understand. The Bible defines itself. You know why people are arguing over this? It's because of what someone told them. If you read the Bible, it defines itself. Are you with me? The spiritual aspect, the specific aspect, it's very, very clear what tongues is if you read the Bible. In his own language, in our own tongue, in our tongues, the wonderful works of God. Listen. See. It was significant. It was significant. What was so significant about this? Look in verse number 7. Verse number 7. And they were all amazed. All of these different groups of people who, who were born and raised in other countries, yet they were Jewish. And they knew, they knew their Jewish heritage. They, 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 they probably have, have spent their life coming back to Jerusalem for these feasts and to worship and to come back to the temple to worship their God. The Bible says in verse number 7, And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, watch this, Behold, are not all of these which speak Galileans? Are not all of these Galileans? How in the world are we hearing them speak in our language? How are we hearing them speak in our native tongue? Now, now what is so significant about this? People from Galilee were unlearned and ignorant. They were known throughout the world to be rude. They were known throughout the world to be uncivilized. You remember in John chapter 1, verse 46, when they came and said, We found the Messiah. And you know what he said? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? In other words, there ain't nothing good can come out of Galilee. There's nothing good out there. There's nothing, there's nothing worthy to come out of Galilee. Now, the term Galilean was used as an expression of deepest reproach and contempt. Mark 14, 70 and John 7, 52. Their dialect was proverbially barbarous, or barbarous and corrupt. They were regarded as an outlandish people, unacquainted with any other nation or language, and hence the amazement. They could, they could address them in a refined language of other people. It was amazing to them. There's no way these ignorant... You remember what they thought about the disciples? When the disciples were spreading the gospel in the book of Acts, it says they were ignorant and what? Unlearned. They were ignorant and unlearned men. How is it possible that these ignorant and unlearned people can speak our own tongue, our dialects, our language? We understand every word they're saying. It's so simple. It's so simple. This is not complicated. This should never be controversial. Listen, we have a group of people who have no education whatsoever, who are touched by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives them the supernatural ability to speak in a language they have not previously learned, and it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And all God's people say it. Now here's, here's another key significant fact that you really need to get as we go into point number two. You've got to get this because this sets the table for you to understand the purpose of tongues. God has a reason for everything he does, and there was a purpose. And it's probably something most of you here have never heard before in your life. Here we have a group of people coming from Gentile lands. 
a group of Jews coming from Gentile territories who come back to the temple yearly. And they would make that journey and they'd make that trek all the way back to Jerusalem every year to worship in the temple. Because there were no, there were no Jewish temples outside of that. Everybody came back. Are you with me so far? And so every year they would come back to hear the wonderful works of God. That's the Old Testament scriptures. They would hear it in the Jewish language. They would hear it in Hebrew. The, the language of God. But now, all of a sudden, they are hearing the wonderful works of God, not in the Hebrew language, not in the language they've heard their entire life. Now, all of a sudden, the wonderful works of God are being spoken and being delivered by Gentile languages. And they've never heard it before. Never before have they heard the Word of God, the works of God spoken in Gentile languages. Never. And they were amazed and blown away. You say, preacher, what's the point? The point is, number two, I want you to see the explanation of tongues. And I want you to flip with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. It is Paul who teaches us and shows us what was the purpose of tongues. What was the purpose of tongues? There were several things that tongues did. <clears throat> there were several things that tongues did, but there was one purpose. Tongues allowed people to see that God was transitioning from the Jewish nation and primarily working through the Jewish nation. Now he's working throughout the world. Are you all with me? Say amen. The, the gift of tongues there at the time showed the Jewish people that God had accepted the Gentiles because it was an outward sign of an inward dwelling, and they accepted the Gentiles and the Samaritans in the church because of the sign they got to see. But that is not the primary purpose of tongues. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, Paul teaches us what the primary purpose of tongues is. In verse number 21, 1 Corinthians 14, 21. Am I boring anybody? I hope not. Verse 21. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. It's very important that you get that. This people. He's referring to the Jewish nation. This people. And yet for all of that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign. It's for a sign. Not to them that believe, but to them that, come on, to them that, okay, now, write this down. There is a specific purpose of the gift of tongues. The ability to speak in languages you've never learned previously. Hearing the word of God in Gentile languages. It was a sign to unbelieving Jews. Now, what was the sign? Now, here's what Paul is quoting. Paul is quoting Isaiah 28, 11. He's quoting Isaiah 28, 11. Now, why, why, why is God giving them a sign? In 1 Corinthians 1, 22, it says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. The Jews require a sign, so God's going to give them one. All right? Now, he quotes Isaiah 28, 
verse 11. Now let me do this before I read verse 11. If you go back and read Isaiah chapter number 28, the first, first eight verses, the first eight verses, you'll find out that he is prophesying against the nation of Israel. He's calling them a bunch of drunks. He's calling them a, a bunch of disobedient, apostatized people who turned away from their God. And he gives them a very vivid picture. I mean, almost nasty, to be honest with you. He said there's vomit all over the table. There's not a, there's not a plate on the table that's clean. And he's describing their behavior. He's describing their wickedness. And he's telling them, you're a disobedient people. And then in verses 9 and 10, they mock him. And they say, who do you think you're talking to? Do you think you're talking to a bunch of babies? Do you think you're talking to somebody that's just been pulled from the breast? Do you think you're talking to a, a baby? They are upset. They do not like his prophecy. And then he reads this verse right here. In verse number 11, it says, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. And it was a prophetic word from God about the destruction of Israel and about them being taken into captivity and the, the, their city destroyed. He is saying, because you are disobedient people, you're going to hear people in a language that's not your own. And if we go to Deuteronomy, if we go to Deuteronomy, you stay there and I'll read it right here. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses is predicting judgment for their disobedience. He says in verse 48, Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee, in hunger and in thirst, in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck, and until he hath destroyed thee, the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. In other words, there's going to be people speaking in a different language. Jeremiah 5 predicts the same thing. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from afar. O house of Israel, saith the Lord, it is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language thou knowest not, neither understandest what they say. Matthew chapter number 23, Jesus is predicting a judgment to come against Israel. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou hast killed the prophets and stonest them with which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Moses is proclaiming that judgment is coming by talking about the other languages. Jeremiah is proclaiming that judgment is coming by declaring the other languages. Isaiah is declaring that judgment is coming because of the other languages. He is saying this is a sign of judgment to come. And when Paul stands forth, he is telling them that tongues is a sign of judgment to come. Judgment is coming upon a disobedient Israel. Why? Because they stood on Mount Calvary and they said, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Away with Him! His blood be on us and our children. And because they rejected their own Messiah, their own Savior, God set Israel aside and judgment was coming. And by the way, 
judgment came in A.D. 70. Rome came in and killed 1,100,000 Jews and destroyed the temple in the city. So what was the purpose of tongues? The purpose of tongues was a sign to unbelieving Jews. They were hearing the words of God in a Gentile language, in a Gentile tongue. And according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, he is teaching them and telling them this was a sign to those who do not believe in the Messiah that judgment is coming upon apostasy, judgment is coming upon disobedience, judgment is coming upon the wickedness of Israel. And watch what he says. And God said, and with all of this, they will not hear. So what was God doing? According to my Bible, not tradition, not hearsay, but according to the Bible, the purpose of tongues was a warning of judgment to Israel because of their disobedience. Judgment was coming. Did it happen? Absolutely. A.D. 70, judgment came. There's no question about this. There was a specific purpose for them to hear God's Word in a Gentile language, a language they had not previously learned. And all God's people said, there was a specific purpose. But not only a specific purpose, it was two specific people. It was two specific people. Who was it for? Was it for believers? Nope. Nope. Wasn't two, it wasn't two believers. It was two unbelievers. And not just unbelievers, but Jewish unbelievers. It said, this people. It's talking about the nation of Israel. Watch what it says. I'm just reading the Bible. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. You see, they didn't believe in the Messiah. They killed him. They crucified him. And because of Israel's rejection of their Messiah, God set them aside. And now he's working through the church. That's judgment. That was the purpose of tongues. The purpose of tongues was not so somebody could have an elated experience. It wasn't, it wasn't so uh, you could witness better or serve better or be more godly, had nothing to do with that, according to my Bible. It had everything to do with God trying to show His people a sign of judgment to come. Are you all with me? Say amen. amen. Number three. Number three, the extent of tongues. <clears throat> the extent of tongues. <clears throat> let, me, let me read this while you're... While you're looking in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14. The sign was a warning. Unless they turned back to God and received Christ, they would experience the judgment of God. The gospel was preached to the Jews in Jerusalem in hated Gentile languages, and they should have recognized the sign in Isaiah chapter 28, but they didn't. Neither did they turn back to God. The number of testing or probation is 40. Forty years later, in 70 A.D., 
Titus led his Roman army into Jerusalem, killing a million one hundred thousand Jews. Thousands were crucified. Imagine that. The very ones who said, crucify him, crucify him, 40 years later was hanging on a cross because of their apostasy. Many who once cried, crucify him, crucify him, were they themselves crucified in their much-loved city, and the, the other Jews were scattered into every nation because they did not heed the signs. Are you with me? I want you to see the extent of tongues. The extent of tongues. According to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians was written approximately 25 to 27 years after Pentecost. So we we know this particular gift, this particular gift was still in operation up until this point. All right? The church at Corinth was was really they were a bad church. They were a bad church. I know there's different communities that say it's the Corinth community, so we're going to name it Corinth Baptist Church. But if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you don't want to name your church Corinth Baptist Church. That's like, it's like naming it Laodicean Baptist Church. You know, we're just a bunch of lukewarm people. Amen? It was a bad church. They were very arrogant. They were very self-centered. They were using tongues, and they were counterfeiting tongues. They were counterfeiting tongues. And what does that mean? That means they were faking it. They wanted an outward outward gift so they they could look spiritual and and important. Kind of like fundamentalists do when they put on a suit to make themselves look more spiritual than somebody who don't have one. Same principle. You may have a dress that goes all the way down to the floor and, and, and make fun and criticize people with a short skirt on, but your rotten heart is worse than their short skirt. Now, I'm not about no short skirt. I wish they all dragged the ground. I'm not about immodesty. I'm not about none of that. But I'm not about a wicked heart on the inside. I don't care how much you polish it on the outside. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you're like white sepulchers. You've got pretty marvel on the outside, but dead men's bones and rottenness on the inside. And here in the Corinthian church, they were, they were counterfeiting it to the point, to the point, watch this right here. Watch this right here. Um, in verse number 3 of chapter 12, it says this. It says in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give unto you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. You know what he's saying there? There were people who were trying to fake tongues and doing what they were doing, they were unwittingly cursing Christ. Think about that a minute. They were wanting this gift because it was a flashy gift. It was a visual gift other people could see. They wanted to look important. They wanted to edify themselves. In other words, they wanted to build up their self-ego. So they spoke this gift, and they had no idea they were faking something, and they were cursing Christ in the meantime. You say, how in the world could they do that? I personally believe it's by demonic influence. 
Preacher, can that happen? Absolutely that can happen. So here they are. Here they are counterfeiting this gift, using this gift in all the wrong ways. It is amazing to me the people that want to take 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and build their doctrine around uh, uh, this particular gift, say, and it's all, he's, he's raking them over the coals because they were doing it all wrong. So, let's just say, let's just say, uh, for the sake of saying, let's just say tongues are for today. Let's say that. Here are some restrictions that Paul put on it. Biblical restrictions concerning tongues. Okay? Watch what he says. In 1 Corinthians 14, 21 and 22, here are the restrictions placed upon it. <clears throat> Number one, tongues are a sign to unbelieving Jews. It is a sign that God is speaking, pronouncing judgment. What does that mean? Unbelieving Jews need to be in the audience. All right? Number two. 1 Corinthians 14, 27. If used in the church, it must always be translated. Always translated. Every time. If tongues are spoke in church, they are to be translated. So that it can have the purpose of edifying the believers who don't know what's being said. 1 Corinthians 14, 27. Never are more than three people to do it. And they are to do it in sequence, not at the same time. See, these are biblical restrictions. 1 Corinthians 14, 28-33. There is to be no speaking in tongues unless it is interpreted. Any confusion or any disorder in the assembly is an indication that what is going on did not originate with God. It's counterfeit. Why? God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14, 34. Watch out now. Put your seatbelt on. Women are never to do it. They are to remain silent and not speak in tongues. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> I just read the Bible. Now let me ask you a question. In most religious circles today, if these guidelines were followed, it would be non-existent. You say, are you against tongues? Absolutely not. I wish I had some this week. I'm not, I, and y'all think I'm being facetious. and being, No. I wish I had tongues this week. I wish I could have spoke in, in Spanish this week. That's all tongues is. It's the ability to speak a language you have not previously learned. And some people had this gift. But the purpose of the gift was assigned to the Jewish people of judgment to come. And for about 25 years after this, God still allowed this gift to be in existence. Because he was trying to tell the people. Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem. And he said, how often would I have gathered you under my wings? But you would not. Jesus did not want them destroyed. Jesus loved them. And he had mercy upon them. And he's, he's showing this sign and telling them that judgment's coming. But according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Bible says... Charity never faileth, 
But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall... Everybody say it. They shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Preacher, do you believe that tongues... I, I personally believe that the, the biblical gift of tongues ceased during the apostolic era. That's what I believe. Now, here's what I want to share with you. <clears throat> tongues are only mentioned in the earliest books of the New Testament. Do you realize 1 Corinthians was the third, the third letter written by Paul, one of the earliest books of the New Testament? He wrote 11 other letters, 11 other epistles after, as time went by, after 1 Corinthians. Now watch this. It was mentioned only in the earliest books of the New Testament. Only three times you find it in Mark, in Acts, and Acts is a historical book. It is a history book. And then in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a scathing rebuke upon the Corinthian church. But after that, you do not hear of it again. Paul wrote 11 epistles after 1 Corinthians and never mentions tongues again. Peter never mentioned tongues in his letters. James never mentioned tongues in his letters. John never mentions tongues in his letters. Jude never mentions tongues in his letter. Tongues appeared only briefly in Acts and 1 Corinthians, which was 27 years after Pentecost, as the new message of the gospel was being spread. But once the church was established and the New Testament finished and circulated among the church, it was gone. They stopped. The latter books of the New Testament do not mention tongues again. Why? Because they had served their purpose. They had served their purpose. Now, here's what I want to leave you. Do you say you have a definite, specific time on when tongues cease? No, I don't have that. I can't be dogmatic about that. I can't stand in front of you and say, this is a specific time, this is, this is a specific place. We do know 27 years, 25 years after Pentecost, it was still in operation. But I can tell you this. I can tell you this. Whether there's a date on it or not, I can tell you what biblical tongues are. And if you know what biblical tongues are, when you hear what's fake, do you, know what, do you know what FBI agents do who deal with counterfeit money? FBI agents are giving money, real money, and they handle it for hours and 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 hours. They handle real money. I thought if they were going to teach the counterfeit unit how to deal with counterfeit, they'd show them what a counterfeit is, but they don't. They handle, they touch, they examine real money for hours so that when a counterfeit is there, it sticks out like a... So I'm not going to argue with anybody about the time of ceasing because I can't dogmatically point to a specific time. But I can dogmatically tell you what it was and what it was not. It is not a non-language. It is not a celestial language. It is not an angelic language. It is a language that you have not previously learned, a real human earthly language. And if you want to go to a foreign field and speak and not have to go to language school and be able to do that, I'm all for it. And more power to you. Because that would be biblical tongues. Are you all with me? Say amen. All we did was took the Bible 
and allow the Bible to define itself. Not my opinion. I didn't tell you this because I was a Baptist. I told you this because I read my Bible. I didn't, I didn't defend my position by my experience. I, I, I could have stood here and said, I've been in spiritual services. I'm talking about where people were weeping and getting right with God and, and people were confessing sins and families were being put back together. And there's no doubt about it. The Holy Spirit was moving in the place in a powerful, powerful way. And listen, you don't, you don't change drunkards and drug addicts and whoremongers without the power of God being on it. And not one single time have I ever had any inclination whatsoever to do what most people who are speaking in tongues today do. So I could stand here and say, by my experience, it's, but I didn't. And I'm not. So don't defend your position by your experience. Get your Bible. Because that's the only validation for truth that we have and that we can depend on. According to, listen, according, I believe it's the book of John, he says, thy word is truth. And before you criticize, before you start whatever you want to do, you go back and read, you go back and look, you go back and listen to everything I say and try to take your Bible because the Bible is clear. You just don't like, no, no, you don't understand. Some of my best friends have a difference of belief when it comes to this topic. Some of my best friends, we've talked about it, we've had words, not words like arguing words, we've, we've discussed this. But guess what? He's going to preach what he believes the Bible says over there, and I'm going to preach what I believe the Bible says over here. And before you get mad and, and start sending emails, when you leave this building, look at the sign and what name's on it before you get out of here. You should not be surprised. Are you with me? And, I, and I'm not trying to be antagonistic. I'm not trying to be... I'm just, I'm just trying to be honest with you. Don't allow what somebody tells you or what you've heard to determine what you believe. I challenge you to get your own Bible and you study it for yourself. You know what? I'll I, I, I tell you this. And most people won't believe this. But there was a lot of things that I heard growing up in a Baptist church that I don't believe today. You know why? Because I studied my Bible. There were things that, that I studied and I looked at that I was told when I was growing up, not necessarily by my father, but other preachers that would come in, and I thought, boy, that sounds good. And, I, and then I started reading my Bible and said, whoa, wait a minute. I challenge you. Don't base anything you believe on what somebody tells you. Get your Bible and study it for yourself. I have, I have done as diligently as I could to take God's Word and do it as clearly as I could. But don't take my word for it. Get your Bible, study it and read. And I promise you this, it'll blow your mind what God will do in your life when you see it for your own self. And all God's people say it. Can we give God praise and glory in His house? <clears throat> Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your blessings.